0: This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com,
1: on mypodcasthouse.com.
0: Hello, and welcome to this week's On The Grid, here on mypodcasthouse.com, or by the Radio Show Limited's RS1. I'm Richard Crail, filling in for Tony Shabeki, and this week, there's no mucking around, and no news, for that matter. All the news centred on Mount Panorama, and the high-tech oils bath the six-hour... So we're diving straight into that with our first special guest. Settle in. This chat is a beauty. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right. Our guest this week is a legend. When playing cricket, he scored more than 10,000 runs for Victoria, unfortunately, but you can't hold that against him. In the Sheffield Shield, he averaged 55 for Australia in test matches and should have played more, but perhaps most importantly, captain the mighty Adelaide strikers in the big bash since retiring from the game. He's gone on to be a gun commentator on the screens of seven for their test match and big bash coverage. And this year, best of all, he's joined the motor racing team. We can welcome to on the grid, the great Brad Hodge. G'day, Hodgie
1: Richard, how are you, my friend? Really good.
0: Mate, it's lovely to have you on. Thanks for jumping on board. Um, did you enjoy your weekend?
1: Oh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Actually, it was pretty special. Um, Oh, look, I'll be honest. I'm not sure who worked harder. You doing your six hours flat straight or me working from six in the morning till six at night. It was a it was a hard slog, wasn't it? It's a really cool event. Um, a, lot, a lot of excitement. Uh, the anticipation that I had going up to Bathurst for only the second time was still as cool as the first. And, you know, the racing was excellent all the way from TCR, GTs to, you know, the production car race. It was simply awesome, mate. I loved it. Now
2: I think, sorry, Rich, I was going to say the piece of Logie nomination worthy television for 2021 to date has to be the Lego challenge. <laughs> Seriously, how sick did that make you? Cause we've, we've posted up in the race talk on the power rankings for the weekend. That was a rad bit of TV.
1: Mark, good to, good to hear from you. Yeah. I, uh, I must admit, I was pretty crook at the end of the night. I, um, I hit an absolute brick wall. I I was close to throwing up, I must admit, on the second lap. And if you have a look at the footage, which I'm sure is edited, but I go really quiet from the top of Skyline all the way down the chase because I'm not sure what it's – I know Dave was pushing the car pretty hard and we got through the chase at about 2.15, I think. And I don't think I've ever thrown up. Going 215 down a straight before, and I was pretty nervous about where it was going to end. Rusty was behind me. Jess was back on the right hand side, but mate, it was like the funny thing was is that, like, as soon as I like the Lego just went absolutely everywhere, right? <laughs> and you know, I knew that there was a camera there, a camera there. So I got to try and find these Lego pieces down by the side of the the seat. As soon as I lift them ahead and dive through this thing around the corner. Man, I was was so car sick and I really struggled. But what a fun piece of TV, eh? Like, it was pretty cool. I know Jess was a bit green after it as well. Um, But good fun. I wish the Lego hadn't been there. Because Dave, to be honest, absolutely thrashed the pants off this safety car. (laughs) There was no brakes left on it. The tyres had just been scrubbed off. It was simply awesome.
0: Yeah, I don't know if Hyundai knew what they were getting in for with that. (laughs) But it was a great package. Hey, mate you're known for your love of motorsport and that's why you're on the, the seven coverage, but where did it start for you? Where did your motor racing journey begin?
1: Probably back like uh, any youngster in the seventies and eighties. And it was Holden versus Ford, you know, Rock versus Johnson and Moffat and these dudes. And, um, yeah, you know, our family was a Ford family. So, um, you know, we were barracking for the number 17, but, uh, I think it was, it was just, yeah, my family grew up, you know, have generation Ford 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 and you know the Bathurst 1000 was such a huge event a huge race and you know religiously we'd sort of watch it um, every year and then it just sort of expanded from there actually so you know I started and then even when I went over to play cricket in England you know followed Formula One which is really cool being in that time zone as well and then some touring cars and some different categories so that's sort of how it started, Rich. I mean, you know yourself, but when you go over to Europe, there's so much motorsport, and um, I think it's the, I think it's not the, yeah, Euro, the Euro Channel itself just has motorsport flat chat nonstop. So it's pretty cool just to be able to learn about what it's like, and then, um, and then come back here, and then yeah, follow supercars for the generations, and then as as a sportsman, you get to meet you know, fellow sportsmen along the way. And you just take a personal interest in how they're going and what they're doing on the racetrack. And, and that's where it sort of grew to. And, and here we are. Seven luckily took the production and um, and found myself crossing over from cricket to motorsport, which I'm not sure that's ever been done before. But um, I'm pretty excited that that has happened. But, um yeah, I love of both sports. But uh, it's a great, cool environment to be in.
2: Well, I've got to tell you, the one crossover last year from cricket to motorsport was when Peter Siddle did the uh, Celebrity E-Series and did a shout-out to Richard Crail. (laughs) And that was the highlight of R Crail's 2020 by
0: distance. It was decent.
1: Yeah, I had him covered, I think, Pete. He did a pretty good job. Look, That was an interesting, funny thing. So the E-Series, like, they took it pretty seriously. And I know, I went and spent uh, probably six hours down at Erebus Motorsport on their simulator with, Barry Ryan trying to get up to speed and and he had me covered for speed. Oh, I'll say that without any promise in the world to say that I was any better. He certainly had me covered. So I think at the time he was punching out sort of low 206s and I was sort of in the 208s. And funny enough, first corner, of course, the chaos of E-Series, he just gets punted you know, off the track in turn one, I just sort of cruise around the track like this, get the job done, pick, uh, finish last, second last. I got punted off by Craig Lowndes. And then they said, you know, just just roll through because it's a reverse grid, right? So I said, yeah, smart. I'll just start I start second or third, picked up a podium, and it was simply awesome. It was good fun. It was a really good, fun time.
0: What what is it about cricketers and motor racing? Because you're not the first one that's had not just a love of cars but the sport as well. There's something in the the dressing room that you just start talking about fast road cars or race cars. What is it?
1: I think it started with Michael Slater actually. He was the first one I reckon to really throw his cash around and splurge on a Ferrari. So um, I think that uh, I was I was pretty close to sluts um, and. I think that I think he started the revolution Then Warney got the white Lamborghini. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I think it started from there. Then Michael Clark sort of jumped on the bandwagon. Now David Warner, I think has got a Lamborghini hurricane. So, I mean, I was, I wasn't lucky enough to make the dollars that they made rich. So, um, yeah, they were happy to talk about it, but I was more than happy to listen when you speak about those sort of, uh, cool cars in the dress room. But I think that's where it sort of comes from. It's, um, but when you're facing, you know, if you are David Warner and you're, and you're facing someone like Shoa though who gets it down at 155 five, one sixty, or Mitchell Stark, yeah, it's, you just love of speed's pretty cool. So why wouldn't it transform into a race car if you can afford it?
2: Now, you've done a fair bit of coaching over the years, high-level coaching. And one thing that I've seen with the VAT teams that I've been involved with over the years is that often they will get coaches in from different sports, from AFL or cricket or whatever, to give them a bit of a pep talk because it's such a team sport, especially when you get to that elite supercars level where it's about the people. I mean, is there anything that you can sort of say from your learnings over the years in cricket that you reckon you could transfer over to motorsport?
1: There's plenty. I've actually done some studies and I think that there's three sports, which are actually pretty close Um, cricket, motorsport and cycling. And the reason I say that is that it's actually a team sport, but really it's, it's, it's individual, right? So, you know, like cricket, you walk out, you mark centre and, and you're the person out in the middle of the MCG that's got to get the job done. Similar to a, a, a motorsport where, you know, behind the scenes, all the work's getting done, the preparation, the planning, and then all of a sudden, the, you know, it's all on the driver to get the job done on the day. Um, same with cycling. So, and, and it's those people out in the middle, motorsport, cricket and cycling, where you sort of, the ego takes control and, and you know, you're the centralised person around this team um really interesting thing that i found doing and listening to people within the lane is how competitive they are with their teammates and i found that really interesting that the person that's actually inside the garage they're the ones that they actually beat want to beat and i'm like no man you want to beat the dudes on the right hand side of the garage and the left like collaborate all your information to make sure you move up if he does a great job i sort of said to him mate as competitive as Manus Lubbershane and Steve Smith are, they might want to be the best in the world, but if they're one and two, they really don't care. They just want to be the best that they can possibly be. So that was one of the interesting things I've seen in terms of how I've given my time. I'm actually at the moment we speak, just running through a few things with Erebus motorsport, just to sort of fine tune a few things. As you know, they had a bit of a rough trot um, last year and going through into this year. So, um, just trying to streamline a few high performance things, and um, just to simplify things down, and hopefully it transfers into you know a couple of young guys on track, just to help them with a few things. But I can see plenty of things in motorsport where um, someone that's got a lot of experience in team can actually you know help them out. But it's a uh, it's 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 an interesting space for sure.
0: How did you find the transition from? professional athlete to professional broadcaster because people I've talked to that have made that switch have gone that that rush of live tv is is something very difficult to replace but elite athletes have said that that rush of being at the middle of the g or whatever it might be is probably more but it's a similar sort of vibe because it's in the moment there's a big audience watching and you've got to perform and you can't stuff up because if you do millions of people are going to see it. So how did you go with that transition to being a a pro broadcaster and being in front of the camera rather than on it and playing the game?
1: I've never thought about it actually, Rich. I, I, um, to be honest, uh, I'm, I'm stunned what you, you're able to do across six hours or a 12-hour race. I mean, that, that's just phenomenal. The knowledge and, and information you get is just and store within your computer, in your own computer, inside your head is just phenomenal. And that's a great skill. For me as a professional sportsman, it wasn't that difficult transferring over into a spotlight. You're always under pressure mm. and you're always in a spotlight. The live TV, I got a really good piece of advice. I think it was from Jim Wilson early on in, yep. in, in um Broadcasting. He said, don't worry about uh, making mistakes because it actually shows that you really actually are human. So that was a really nice thing which just settled me. Um, and the other thing is he, he he casually pointed out, like we did a few takes at the SCG and I stuffed all two of them before it actually hit live. The producer said, right, we've run out of time now, odd You've stuffed it up. We're going absolutely live. And Jim sort of turned to me and goes, mate, did you ever make runs in the practice matches? I said, shit, no, mate. I never wasted my energy on practice <laughs> matches. He goes, well, he goes, the same here. He goes, the same here, mate. We step up Great. to the plate. This is where the big boys play. Let's nail it. And, of course, we absolutely smashed it out of the park. So it was um, – it was interesting. One of the things which I found just quickly about broadcasting is that you're thrust in there without any information at all, and it, you feel like you're sort of expected to know. I I jumped into cricket, um, and I only got a chance actually through David Barham. I was the first one which, you know, got the headphones on and started microphone on out as captain for the Adelaide Strikers, and and pretty much that's the only way I found myself in the broadcast um david barham thought i did a great job and he wanted me to be part of his team so you know realistically it was potluck rich I, I didn't go searching for it and and look here we are so i'm grateful for that opportunity and i'm glad he saw something in me which i didn't certainly see so um <laughs> it's pretty cool uh but yeah for me yeah it's just such a learning curve every day you just learn because you there's no study mechanism i haven't been to journalism school and i know anything about it. Um, You know, it's just so, it's so intriguing. Even the first time I went into the truck to have a look at how full production worked, I just Mm. went, wow, what chaos is this that you guys (laughs) rain in here while we're just talking cricket on the box, you know? It's absolute magic and pretty much gold to see.
2: Now, on the weekend, you jumped in the box alongside Rich in the six hour, but you did a lot of the colour stuff uh, behind the scenes in the paddock up on top of the hill. How is that, seeing some of those cats on race day?
1: Um, I'll tell you what, I jumping in with rich was the most nervous i'd been across the weekend (laughs) um but i was super excited for it only because i i didn't actually i mean if you talk about sport right and professional sport the only reason people get anxious is they don't know what the result's going to be at the end of it so i'm like wow what is this hour going to look like (laughs) at the end of it um most times when you go to the nets and you train, you play, you think you're going to make a hundred. And sometimes you do. So you go, I like, go, oh, I'm not anxious about it, but this was like, wow, what is this going to be like? Um, you know, seven or eight different categories, 60 cars, 180 people. I'm like, Oh, you know, and luckily the, uh, the legend there was just to be a real off name and car. Like it was just the, you know, walk in the park. So, I love that the color sk- the color thing as well is really quite interesting because um, you know when I spoke to Anna Stone and the people within Seven, um, and I sort of agreed with this is that your motorsport commentary and that it's it, it, it's it's all it's very much data driven right like it's an engineering based sport so mm. mathematics and everything like that is it's it's pretty clinical most times that. You know, when you interview someone, they've crashed the car into a wall. So it's, it's not a, you know, the happy story is always at the end of the race, not during the race. So that was something that we just tried to bring. And, and they thought that I was the personality which was, you know, going to be able to help that. And, and yeah, I, I love getting up there and seeing the punters. In fact, the first time I was up at Bathurst, that was awesome. Cause there was just people smashing cans at like <laughs> nine in the morning. You know, and I'm trying to get some peace and you know, they're, they're sort of hanging crap on me. Hey, oh, you should be playing cricket, blah, blah, blah. And you know, it's, it's pretty fun, but yeah, you know, what an amazing, amazing day. I reckon come five o'clock in the afternoon, to the Bathurst 1000, that's the place where you want to be for yeah. sure. <laughs> it's, yeah. I reckon there's some funny sights up there, no doubt.
0: It's such a privilege to be able to work at that place as well, because it never, ever disappoints. And, and even a quiet-ish race at Bathurst has got so many underlying stories that you can tell over the course of a day, which, which I, I love about it. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on what we're seeing at the moment with Shane Van Gisbergen, and, and you were there at Mount Panorama in February for the supercars, and, and you've seen his journey from October last year the guy is just about unbeatable at the moment. You've worked alongside and you you dropped some names before, like Shane Warne, that are the absolute elite of their sport. Uh, Shane has to be in that conversation, doesn't he? Even for a bloke that's in his early 30s.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's the funny thing about it, is that when you reach your 30s, you do actually become, in your own mind, completely professional. You've just ticked over probably 10 years of racing or You've done. I was interested to hear what Daniel Ricciardo was saying as well about his, you know, first steps into Formula One. We all think we're superstars and we all think we can get the job done early, but the reality is, is we can't. We actually, you know, need to learn. We need to evolve. Shane Van Gisbergen, to me, like when I've watched him, um, and you know, when he took that criticism, I think it was during the GT race in the 12 hour. And, you know, that dude, I can't remember the name of him, but he said, you know, what a stupid performance. And he smashed the, I think it was a Mercedes into the wall or McLaren, one of the two. And ever since then, I I get the sense that he walked away and just said, you know what, I'm going to show everyone that I'm just probably one of the best drivers in the world. And looking at him as a professional, A, he looks miles thinner than he was back then. So he's he's obviously gone, right, what's it take to be a professional? Um, he's a clear student of the game as well, like he studies data, engineering, knows about it, and then obviously very, very calm and relaxed, racing across a number of different categories. Putting himself under pressure is really just getting him a space, a space to be where he is right now, and that is in the zone, which is called a state of flow. He just jumps in there and he's not even thinking about it. So he's in the absolute natural flow. How you get there, it's a process um, of just working towards that state of flow. Now he's there, and it's just a matter of how long he's going to stay there for. You've
2: been blessed with the Shannons uh, series this year that the categories that feature have been awesome. There's been awesome racing from the TCR side of things, the S5000s, Trans Ams you've got a really good calendar of of different categories that you're able to feed off there. It's not like you're having to make up something from some boring races. They've all been crackers, which I guess makes your job a bit easier at this stage of the ball game.
1: Makes everyone's job easier. Doesn't it? I mean, I must admit uh, that. No, I will not say surprised. The TCR racing's actually been awesome. Um, and, and it probably helps when there's a couple of high-profile drivers in there as well, like Chaz Meister, Garth Tander, mm. uh, Lee Holdsworth, and then some real young guns, you know, fighting away Jordan Cox. I mean, look at Jay Hansen's um, performances as well, even though mechanically he's had some issues and stuff, but he's he's parked it up the front most times. So that's really, really cool. s five thousands, well, aren't they a serious beast as well? Yeah. Um, and I must say, I must, I love listening to Rich as well because his love for Joey Morrison is just phenomenal. <laughs> and, and, and strange enough, I know exactly why because I checked out Joey Morrison's Instagram page straight after he won. Mate, that dude is absolutely ripped like hell. I, yeah, this, I don't know, he was doing these things on the bar, and I just went, "Yeah, I'm barricading for Joey Morrison every day of the week now," so that's cool. <laughs>
0: I cheer him on because he's a good driver, Podgy. That's the only oh, reason. Yeah. But he's, thank you.
1: He's, he's serious. <laughs> I mean all of them are pretty good, right? And um yeah, yeah and even like even the GTs, like there were some really good races too, you know, up at the mm. uh, up at Bathurst. So, you know, yes, yeah, so a Shaheen chucking it down on the inside, coming down the chase just to get the job done. Like really cool stuff. and you know. It makes your job easier, as you mentioned, and it's great for the viewership. We've seen an inc- I think it's actually really good that Seven have jumped on board because it's increased the viewership. Doesn't matter whether you're watching on Seven or the opposition. It's just it's just great for your branding across any form of sport, any form of broadcast.
0: And terrific numbers over the weekend on mate, especially as well, almost 170k average for the whole race, uh, is that plus right? the TCR on Sunday. Yeah, super, wow. super numbers on mate, which is really, really good. So yeah, That, cool. that bodes well for the future. Um, very one quickly, of,
1: uh, saw me eating the ice cream. That was uh, mate, Well, find of well. <laughs> <laughs> Did Did you you contention on jealous? that, mate, because yeah, uh,
0: one M naughty G Rust, and R Crayle missed out yeah. on that uh, particular mm. round. So um, we're yeah. still waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next yep.
1: round. Got it yep. done. I'll wait till it's freezing cold. at <laughs> <laughs> Philip Island, about minus five. <laughs> no problem. Get your frosty thing. <laughs> Brilliant.
0: Brilliant. We'll hold you to that. We'll still claim it. Hey, before we let you go, your own driving exploits. Just tell us a little bit about mm. that time behind the wheel, and perhaps what you might be looking for in the future.
1: Yeah, future's interesting. I mean, you know that motorsport's financial, right? So it's it's quite difficult to put together exactly what you want. Um, But I've got some high ambitions. Um, Partnered with a renewable energy company actually called uh, Lotus Energy, who are doing some work as we speak over in Africa and also India, which is where I met them during the IPL. Um, They're building sort of six smart cities. And together we sort of – I spoke to the boss and I said to him, you know, in my time spent in motorsport, one of the most interesting things I've found is that there's no clear pathway uh, for motorsport. It's it's a little bit sort of, you know, there's no ch- pyramid, triangle-type styles mm. in cricket or footy where if you're good enough, you'll generally make it. You know, cash certainly comes into the equation. And so we're sort of looking at building um, a little program of sponsorship for some youngsters so if, if all goes well, that will certainly play out. Um, so I'm hoping it comes through. Personally, myself, yeah, I, I need some financial things to work, but I've certainly got some ambition to, you know, race maybe in a uh, GT trophy or even a uh, Porsche challenge. You know, that'd be pretty cool. Um, but, you know, Wife and kids are over there, and she's definitely a no no. So <laughs> I'll turn it around from. It's one of them things where you just do it right and apologize later. So yeah. we'll, uh, but um, yeah, interesting. Like just coming out of the six hour, um, I just said to Jack Perkins and um, and Dave Reynolds, I said, man, we got, we have to roll around in this thing next year. So mm-hmm. yeah, they're keen as mustard. So we'll make it work. And Jack goes, man, we've got to get one of them BMWs. I said, right, right leave it with me. So yeah, there's, um, there's some pretty cool ambition um, and, you know, to to broadcast inside the car, I reckon, yes. is even even cooler. So if we can pull that off, you know, that'd be amazing. So, yeah, keep, you, keep your eyes and ears open and um, watch this space.
2: One last one from me. As a long-suffering Brisbane Heat fan, what <laughs> chance do I have? Oh, do I have done. any chance ever? No, you're that's done. my
1: thought. I mean, uh, I'll tell you what, I... <laughs> I mean, all we needed, the Adelaide Strikers, was Rashid Khan. I can't believe yeah. it. So, you got Mujib. You're halfway there. Um, I mean, what? how good are the Afghanistan players? Oh. Well, Brisbane Heat. But do you know what the problem is? Is that the climate's too good. You guys don't know. Um, you're just happy every day. So, as as Southerners, like we respect the winter. And then we come out with a pile of energy to perform well in the summer. So... I just get this feeling that you guys are just happy too much all year round. So you need to, (laughs) you need to toss the teal into the cupboard and, and what's the trick for you guys to be good Maybe play at the MCG. That might help. Bring Linny down here. (laughs) Swap Linny to the red or green and see what happens.
0: (laughs) Spoken like a true Victorian. Uh Brad, we really appreciate your time, mate. It's great fun having you on that seven sport team covering motorsport this year. Really looking forward to the rest of it. And I'm looking forward to crossing you crossing to you in a car at the six hour next year and go and practice some Dick Johnson one-liners, mate, and roll them out. That's gonna be (laughs) excellent.
1: Well, I mean, that's the plan, right? I mean, that was pretty cool TV back when it was happening. Yeah. So, um, yeah, look, if we could pull it off, it'd be pretty cool. But other than that, um, I might have to just get a Porsche and come over to the bend and roll around with you for a while and see if I can get some skill first. That's the problem, right? right. So, yeah, uh, the, the, uh, the plan, what we talked about, I said, I'll just do – we might have to jig the rules. I'll just roll two laps around and, and have to jump back in the pit lane. And then Dave and Jack can just roll around and win the race. Simple. Someone's got to take it to SVG next year, surely. Correct. You know, that I'll sledge like- him out anyway. I this is pretty, <laughs> uh, he hasn't been sledged properly yet. So I reckon I've got plenty under the belt to be able to get underneath that skin of his. I reckon I can do it for That's sure. That's
0: super. That's another cricket thing that can come into motor racing, sledging. <laughs> Mate, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you at Sydney in a few weeks' time.
1: No, Richard, Mark, pleasure. Good stuff.
0: There's Brad Hodge joining us here on The Grid. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. Well, Brad Hodge there, and that could have very easily descended into a podcast about cricket with a side of motor racing rather than the other way around because a group of cricket nuffies uh, chatting to a legend of the sport was very, very cool. What a talent, though. He's been in such a cool addition to the sport. It's been really, really good to work with Brad this year, especially, and get to know him a little bit and um, see how he's coming on as a broadcaster of motorsport, Mark. He's, um, he's great fun. Well, you've got to be worried as a
2: broadcaster, professional broadcaster, that you've got people like Garth Tander that can go out there and win all the races and then take your job. Now, all you need to do is score 10,000 shield runs and
0: they'll also take your
2: job. So you've got to be careful for everyone.
0: I've got nothing at all. Uh, You were on the couch on the weekend reporting for Uh, theracetalk.com. What's your takeout from the high tech oils back the six hour. Cause on the ground, it was an absolute beauty. Uh, what was it like on the couch? It was
2: good. It was entertaining. Um, the, the TV product was pretty good. And as you mentioned in the chat there, it rated well. A lot of people tuned in and uh, there was a lot of traffic on the website. And a lot of people wanted to know what was going on. So that's that's really good for the event. And that just shows the difference what network television does for you. Uh, everyone was able to get access to the race nice and easily and um, rated well. The, the six hour itself, uh, a lot of safety cars, which really did upset the flow there. But mm. Shane Van Gisbergen, he's just on another planet. Uh, I mean, not to, not to talk down the efforts of Shane Smolin and Rob Rubis, but they're not A-grade drivers. That was Shane Van Gisbergen that got that job done on the weekend. Yeah. And there was some combos out there, like the Beric Linton and Tim car. I mean, they're both decent steerers of those things. Yep. And it was just SVG by himself. Overcoming that five-second post-race penalty, which was could have absolutely stuffed that race. I yeah. do not for the life of me understand how they can hand out a five-second pace race penalty so early in the race when there was a whole stack of pit stops and greenflake stops, green stops still to come. So that's something that they'll have to think about in future. It was only, at the end of the day, three seconds that uh, that was to the good side there was Van Geer's. I mean, he, he eked out quite a gap, but then he copped mm-hmm. some traffic on that last lap and it really came back to him and it was quite tight in the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You have to wonder if it was Tim Slade in the position of, and with the fullest of respect to Tim Lay, even Tim Lay said, mate, I race twice a year. Like I've got no hope of going with SVG. who's arguably the form driver in the sport at the moment. You've got to wonder if it was Slade in that car motorsport BMW identical car to the one that won the race. If it would have Shane would have been able to pull that margin because Lay could stay with uh, SVG for a lap. Yep. But couldn't for that final, you know, 10-lap run to the flag that we ended up having, which was great irony because in every other race, that would have been a safety car at some point based on how that day had rolled out. But nevertheless, that was the job. I, I love the stories that emerge from races like this, though, and and the story of Shane Smolin and Rob Rubis, who who won that race. And, and Shane was almost in tears after copping that penalty early on for, for the overlap on the restart. Um, and was sort of repenting all day to try and make up for it. But I love the fact that those two are great mates and very, very close friends. And Rob actually was part of the reason that Shane went car racing. And a long time ago, they went halves in a $4,000 EA Falcon saloon car. And that was Shane's first ever race car. And that's what got him into the sport. And he's since gone on to win races in Carrera Carp and go really, really well in top level am driven categories i suppose and rob's a class winner in the the six hour before with todd Hazelwood and a bmw so i just love that element of that combo too and bringing in the gun to to really anchor the the program so I, i just found that the whole thing was just utterly compelling and shane winning was just the the cherry on the top of the ice cream sandwich that was that race I
2: remember when I was a kid 20 years ago in Queensland, Rob Rubis was out there battling it out in HQ Holdens. Mm -hmm. He was a mainstay of that class for a long time. So to see him stay in the sport so long, firstly, that's a pretty cool thing. Not a lot of people hang around that length of time out in amateur categories. Uh, But then SVG, he looked fit again. It was none of that grimacing. There was none of that pain. He just got it done. He was able to hold his trophy up high and he looked good as gold. So... Obviously, he's got another week off now that he can go and sit in the hyperbaric chamber <laughs> and ice up for Tasmania. They've given him; they've actually given him a week's grace there because yeah. at one stage it looked like it, uh, it was all over the place with the pandemic stuff with supercars. But uh, he's got another week to rest up, and he was a winner in the GTS as well on the weekend. Yeah. There was some yeah. great racing in the GTS.
0: Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? It, it worked really, really well. Um, I was I was impressed uh, that the product at Phillip Island probably wasn't quite what they wanted it to be in terms of quality of the field, but throw a couple of those, those big name supercar drivers in, but then the AMs drove really, really well. And, and I thought Prince Jeffrey was really yeah. impressive in the triple eight car. And, but Yasushi Hin has always been one of the fastest AM drivers around. And um, it was probably a little bit of inexperience from the triple eight car to not block into yeah. the elbow there on the final lap. But then again, I'm quite convinced that had Yasser not caught past there, he would have done the send at the chase up the yep. inside potentially, but um, still great results and, and really, really cool. I watched the, the end of that race from next to the triple eight bunker actually. And it was quite interesting just seeing how that played out and again, how active Roland Dane remains on the headset and um, passing on instructions to the crew throughout the race and things like that. So yeah, really good racing. TCR was good. Um, Jordan Cox just continues to impress, doesn't he? What a superstar.
2: He's a gun. How, mm-hmm. how soon is it before one of these VR teams wake up and, and put him in there? Obviously, anyone who's ever tuned into YouTube would have seen Jordan Cox do ridiculous things in his pre-production Civic across the top of the mountain. And then he did it again on the weekend in TCR. Two moves and two corners at McPhillamy and Skyline. Yeah. That's just things that don't happen. And then some of his sends down Conrad. Mm-hmm. Uh Three wide, making the move stick, get out of town. So, uh, obviously, he had his dramas there in qualifying when he bunkered it at the chase, but uh, bounced back really nicely in the race, to be up there in the podium. Obviously, Philip Island was a, a big, uh, you know, a bad ran for his championship aspirations, but uh, he's shown now that in two of the three events to date, he is one to beat.
0: Yeah, he's a guy really making the most of his opportunity, isn't he, getting a crack at a a proper national championship for the first time, having a full on championship attacked. And as you said, Philip Island didn't go well, but certainly every time you turn the TV on that alpha Romeo with the bright orange stripes is somewhere near the front and doing ridiculous things. So um, he might not win the title, but he's certainly going to win some more fans. And like you said, the attention of other people in the sport while it goes on. Um, Trans Am series continues to be a good little thing. Doesn't it? I had the great pleasure to call that with Greg Rust on the weekend and um, that Sunday race between Nathan Hearn and Aaron Seaton's as good a motor race as we've had this year, full stop. I would have thought cracking stuff between those two.
2: No, they're at it. They're absolutely on like Donkey Kong. And once again, it shows how cool those cars are. I mean, they're yeah. a fair bit off the pace of what the current generation supercars are, but
0: it doesn't but, matter. But still, it's, it's good racing. They're Who doing cares? Things, mate. Like yeah, doing it's not bad. And And a couple of people in the paddock were saying like, had they had more practice in qualifying, they probably would have been in the nine somewhere. That's not slow at Mount Panorama. Anything 210 at that joint is fast. And it just it does beg the question, doesn't it, about Gen 3. And like these Trans Am cars are 150 grand and they're doing 10s. You know, Gen 3's target's 350 and we all know that that's not going to happen. So how much more do you need to spend to find six or seven seconds? And would the product be better anyway? Whereas you could probably bolt a, maybe whack a six-speed gearbox, sequential box in one of these Trans Am cars, put the 18-inch Dunlop on, um, send them. You, yep. You're going to do sevens, if not sixes. Um, and the racing product is going to be great. And the way Hearn was backing that thing in over at McPhillamy Park, and the car copped it, no mm. problems. That's how they like to be driven. It's such a good product.
2: Now, you were
0: trackside, S5000, how How'd it sound? Oh, I was pretty exciting. Um, <laughs> it was pretty good. <laughs> um, and and we'll talk about this. But, yeah, I uh, it was very, very cool. That first run on the Saturday when young Braden Wilmington went out of pit lane and you could hear the thing wheel spin through first and second and then third. Um, and you could hear him plucking gears all the way up mountain straight. Even when it disappeared over the hill, you could still hear it. You could hear the down changes uh, for Griffin's Bend. And then when he got on it out of the cutting, and you can see standing at the back of the paddock from the top of the pit building. You can see up to Reed Park. You can see the back of the bridge, the old mm. Mark Taylor Bridge. You can hear him get on the throttle there from, mm. what, two and a half k's away downstream. Yeah, pretty cool. And he was running mufflers. And in wow. November, they won't be. So um, really spectacular. It, it was a good exercise for the category. They needed to, to do that just to tick some boxes on ride heights and things like that. Um, and working out what the car's like and how they behave at Mount Panorama. It's zero dramas, um, flawless. It bottomed out once on the bump at Mountain Straight. He felt that through his back. But he said after um, racing those things at Sandown, it was like driving on a billiard table. So um, it was no problem. Didn't bottom out at the Dipper at all. Um, Tracked perfectly down Conrod. So th- the team will go back and look at the data and, and work out what they need to do as far as a, and engineering side of things for those cars go. Um, I know Motorsport Australia is looking at things like top speed is, is one of the factors they're just looking at for when they race there in November, but. Hey, it wasn't not.
2: ridiculous. Like looking at the telemetry and in the in-car, it was within the bounds of reason, wasn't it? Yeah,
0: no, look, they'll go quicker, but um, cause Braden was definitely driving at um, 70%, if not that. And the, the crazy thing was they were his first ever laps at Bathurst. Hmm. He'd never driven there which blew my mind because his dad's raced there 21 times in the 1000. So um, the fact he'd never raced was uh, impressive. And he was joking that he was due to get a run in an XL that weekend, but he actually got more laps running the S5000 rounding demos than he did had he rocked up in the XLs because they turned out to be a bit of a a crash fest, but yeah, um, well, we've oh, got that...
2: the, the power rankings uh, mm. up for the six hour and the Hyundai's were an absolute hard knot. And we've managed to scrape together a lot of the footage of the shunts that happened out there in the, uh, okay. over the weekend. And it was UGLY, no good from those guys,
0: pretty, unfortunately. Pretty average, really, really disappointing. Because in 2019, it was really good. Mm. And I don't think they had a safety car from memory in 2019 when uh, the Racetalk.com sponsored Asher Johnston, got a, uh, got a nice victory there and still holds the lap record. Um, no, you're right. Disappointing, but no, s 5,000. Fantastic. Really, really cool. Um, watching those race at that joint's going to be pretty, pretty bloody spectacular at the Bathurst international in November.
2: So other takeaways for the weekend. I've I noticed there that the weather's gotten a hard hot. Oh yes. I tell you what, I remember going to Bathurst and Easter going for a jog in the morning, coming back with ice cubes stuck to my back. Hmm. It looked livable there in the weekend. Oh, hooray was... for global warming! What a good, good idea.
0: Yep, yep. It was, it was one of those weekends where everything was meant to be. They happen every now and then at Bathurst. Every now and then it just all works. And even Friday morning, this fog rolled in, and it rolled in from. Um, was standing in the media centre, you could see it billowing in over Hell Corner, and it just sort of skirted around. And and literally, it was foggy in the Harris Park campground the Max Cameron Campground, which is the one behind Hell Corner. It was foggy there, and it was foggy on William Street in Bathurst, and it was foggy behind the National Motor Racing Museum, but the circuit was perfectly clear. Um, it was just one of those weekends where the weather was perfect. Mid-20s in the day, cool nights, absolutely perfection. Um, I, I can't remember a weekend of such good weather at that joint. Seriously, it was... Um, outrageous especially after what happened in New South Wales two weeks ago where the entire state was underwater um three of Bathurst's main roads were flooded all the bridges in town were closed because the Macquarie River was breaching its banks uh, I mean it could have been a nightmare for so many reasons um but yeah we, we got away with one there it was sensational
2: now Bathurst six hour where to for the future obviously this year the event ramped up a lot of- it's hmm. under the wing of the ARG. We had that really good support category. It's hard to call them supports. They're stars in their own yeah. right, yeah. but they're there on the undercard to the six hour. Yeah. Where are two from here because we've seen in the past manufacturers take an interest in the 12 hour when it was a production car race. A lot of them would have to be Packing up their ears looking at this event quite seriously now because that was a, a really good show.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think the addition of the Mustang was a massive win and they probably weren't quite as competitive as we'd all hoped. Having said that, chatting to a couple of the teams quietly, they were like, "No, nah, look, these things can do 27s, no problems. We just don't yep. want to or need to. Yep. Um, and we didn't get an indication over the race as to how it would have played out on strategy with the the compulsory pit stops. We didn't have enough green flag running where they may have been able to roll the dice on fuel. And, and yep. certainly they would have had to complete at least one less stop than the, uh, than the BMWs. They wouldn't have been able to do it on four was the, the basic understanding I got. Um, but had it gone green a lot of the way, like the 2019 race, they probably would have at least saved 90 seconds worth of CPS, if not more than that. Um, and, and certainly a splash and go at the end. So that would have been really interesting. And we also lost a strong contender early, unfortunately, with with Timmy Miles's big crash at the chase. Um, what it might do actually is is forcibly introduce some more variety into the field because Tony Quinn was joking that um, he should have built a Camaro because he's just bought into triple eight, which will be a Camaro team, but he'd already ordered the Mustang and it was already 90% finished by the time the deal was done. So um, that Mustang's not racing again. I can give you the hot tip. Yep. Um, so maybe now Quinny will go and build himself a local legends Camaro to run uh, next year, which will coincide with them going back on sale with walking shores and um, continuing to be a factor in the Aussie market, which would be cool. So um That'd be great. Uh, there's a couple of other teams looking at Camaro. So that Mustang Camaro battle will go on in production car racing, which will be great. We need to find something that can take on those BMWs because they've got a bit, it's a bit BMW cup at the front, but they're mm. the tool to have. I'm surprised no one's built a Audi RS4 mm-hmm. or something similar with the all-wheel drive. Like, it could be a really handy thing. And that's the natural rival to an M3 in, in the real car world. Well, do you know, Mark, I, I really think that the future of that race and part of me cringes is that there's a, an opportunity to do some EV stuff down the road, mm. um, whether it's a hybrid class or whether there's an opportunity to do full EV. I don't know. They At the moment they wouldn't be able to do the race on, on a tank of battery, but. Um, <laughs> tank of battery. Well, uh, what is it? A charge. <laughs> um, but, but who knows where it's going? Like, I mean, the goalposts keep moving with that stuff, and you've seen the like the Porsche Taycan. You know, you can go flat out Porsche spec and still get four hundred k's out of a out of a, a charge on those things. So, um, one of those cars at that race would be properly competitive.
2: I cast um, your mind back, Rich, to the early nineties and the twelve hour. The mm. original one, there was an EB Falcon out there running LPG. Yes, and it yep. came in. They just
0: changed the tank over. Yeah, the complete well, tank over and a battery pitstop. change. Easy. Yep. yep. Done quick change yep 100 percent. I, I don't know that you, you could maybe you could remember back in the 12 hour they used to run aussie gt for the first hour and it yeah. was a bit messy but maybe you run an ev race within the first say three hours two drivers have got to run they do 300ks maybe a little bit more which might be right on the edge of battery so there's a bit of fuel economy or battery economy in there as well. And and then you pull them out of the race halfway through. If they feel like they can keep going. Good luck to them. But, um, and, and get that green segment in. I, I think that's where the investment would be certainly from a manufacturer point of view, but um, uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool. The engine in the car that won was out of a wrecked BMW M4, <laughs> Um, that Berwick Linton leased to Smollin, Rubus and Van Gisbergen. I don't think Shane had anything to do with the deal, but it was leased to them. It's a production car engine out of a road car. So there's still that road car crossover there, which I love about that race. It's so cool. Do you reckon a shunted
2: BMW M4's had an easy life up to that point?
0: No, I don't. No. <laughs> Couple of high-speed chases, maybe here probably, or there.
2: Probably a couple of warranty jobs. Yeah, I've seen all... that with
0: BMW drivers before. Oh, yeah. This is your six-clutch, sir. <laughs> oh, just, just unlucky, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a few, a few quiet track days, maybe at Queensland Raceway, every now and then. But no, it's good. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see personally, without speaking from the event point of view, maybe a bit of a rolling age cap, perhaps. But um, even then, uh, a lot of those teams running the older cars are seriously looking at upgrading next year they want they want to build something new which is great so um i think as that race now it's got a really stable base to move forward i I reckon it will naturally evolve to um to have new cars and people will build new cars and run them
2: we we talked about it last week and you mentioned it on lap 17 that the most successful car in the history of bathurst almost the uh, peter o'donnell's bmw 335i it racked up twenty thousand kilometers around panorama ridiculous
0: yeah. that thing's going on a plinth one day in the museum surely N- next to the brock statue like yep. seriously that <laughs> thing's remarkable <laughs> yeah what a story and, and like, i love that as well and, and Pete, i had a great chat with Pete o'donnell he's one of motor racing's great gentlemen and um yeah it, they were just so enthusiastic about it and it had no expectations about results didn't really care they were just there to have a great time and, um, and keep racing what is such a very, very cool car with, with great Bathurst history. I, I love that about that race. They One of the won its class. Stories. They did. They got a trophy. Exactly. No, it was cool. Very, very cool weekend. Loved it. Loved it. No, it was a good show on TV. Uh, and the, the whole Channel 7
2: production's really coming along. Like I said, there was a couple of little technical things on Saturday, which they got on top of really quickly to their credit. And uh, and all the talking heads that they rotated alongside yourself during the race. It worked a treat. Did you like that? I, I did. I, I really did. i had much
0: feedback on that. It was test match
2: crickety. Oh, it was, it was mint. Because, I mean, you were able to to follow the race and follow the strategies very well, which is what you do in those long-distance races, just nicely know how long each car's got on their tank and what their prospects are, which is great. But then there was all the different perspectives coming into the booth alongside you, which I mm. I liked. So, yeah.
0: Oh, excellent. i I'd give a shout-out to Chris Stubbs as well, because that man... Has spent more time. How, than how much research is, does any he human being researching yeah. everything? Yeah. He is the most re- well-researched broadcaster I've ever come across. I think yeah. uh, it's just he's doing an outstanding job, and and he's he's not done a lot of the broadcast com stuff, but um, in, in terms of the play-by-play, he absolutely smashing it. His stuff working GT was out, outrageous, um, and he listens to on the grid to stop uh, it he listened to us on the drive up to bathurst uh for our previous show to listen to our chat with berrick linton last week um and to get the insights and berrick gave us terrific insight and, mm. and and that rolled out in commentary so um now well done to Stubbsy, but the whole team are great jess dane spent an hour in the box with us as well she was fantastic really great insight so um i'm biased because i get to work with these great people but um yeah the reaction to that has been really really positive which is cool and get some new voices in the commentary box which is great You know, fans sometimes
2: have a bit of a go at Jess just because of who she is and the family she's from, but she's incredibly well-spoken, incredibly intelligent, knows motorsport, knows the game, knows how it all operates and just fitting in naturally to her role there in the weekend.
0: And twice on the weekend, we there was some peer pressure on her to go and interview Roland Dane, and both times she, she did it begrudgingly, but she knocked yeah. it over and did a, <laughs> did a very nice job. And RD gave her absolutely donuts, nothing, yep. no special treatment there. Um, we should mention before we wrap up, congratulations to Molly Taylor as well for uh, getting victory in the Extreme E race over there in Saudi Arabia. She Her star continues to rise, and um, I don't know, international Aussies at the moment, like Ricardo Power, Molly, like Piastri, Molly's got to be in that conversation for for high achievement at the moment. She's just doing outstanding things um, at both broadcasting point of view and from a, a race car driving point of view. So, so outrageously well done to her.
2: Yeah, friend of the podcast. Great to see her doing a great job over there, and th- that's got huge press everywhere. Everyone was yep. watching that, and to be driving for Nico Rosberg and to pull off that result, that's uh, really well done. So hopefully she can keep that going. It- Interesting little series I got going on over there. It was a spectacular sight. Yeah. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out because it, it sort of lacks, it, it misses some of that dinkiness that Formula E has. It's a bit more you know, serious. It, it, it seems a bit more serious. And you don't necessarily, it's more about the visual of the car doing these cool jumps and stuff in this really nice setting. It's not this electric
0: uh, remote control car thing. Yeah. 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 It's cool. Yeah. Don't mind yeah. it. I agree with you completely. Uh, Ordinarily, we'd be previewing Simmons Plains, but elephant in the room. It's not happening this weekend. They've got a a week off due to the Brisbane COVID situation. So next week, we will look at the next round of the Supercars Championship uh, and discuss how Shane Van Gisbergen's streak will extend to eight. (laughs) Already given it to him. Well done. Congratulations (laughs) on winning the title this year. Who's going to beat him? No one. It's not possible. Uh, he's in ridiculous form. Uh, thank you. Love your work. Uh, check out the racetalk.com power rankings from the Bath of Six Hour. The memes are cracker. You've done nice work there. That wasn't me. That was uh, Jordan Murlach. to oh, okay. uh, Pull that one off. Nice. Friend, friend, friend of the show. Nice work. Um, the racetalk.com. Don't forget uh, the power rankings are your power rankings, the original and the best. And we'd love your feedback at the race talk on our social media channels. Uh, my thanks to Mark Walker. My thanks to Brad Hodge, the legend for joining us on the show. Don't forget to subscribe to on the grid. Um, we should mention Tony Shabeki away this week. He's on holiday. Um, these are the kind how of did, things. How did holidays? I don't know. How does, how is that even a thing?
1: In this I, I don't time know
0: period. I don't know but anyway um Shebex and the lovely Rowena have uh, taken a week off so probably should have talked about that at the start of the show rather than the finish but anyway <laughs> that's why you haven't heard the voice of the G in the show this week he will be back next week as will we thanks for listening to on the grid we'll see you in a week's time bye for now